Thank you, Brent. It's time to open your Bibles. By now, after seven weeks, your Bible is probably already flopping open to John chapter 15. That's good. We're going to be there. But there's another place I want you to find before you go to John 15. I want you to find 1 John chapter 4. That's in the back of your Bibles. So uh, put a bookmark there or your wife's finger or something and then go back to John chapter 15. And uh, we're going to continue to talk about this all-important subject of what it means to abide, especially in this crazy season that we are living in. There could not be a more important message for us than the one that Jesus spoke to his disciples right before he departed from them. He uses this word... That means to stay right where you are. Don't run away. Don't be spooked off. Don't be wandering away from what you know is true. He wants us to learn what it means to remain, to unite. You are in Christ. Christ is in you. It means to dwell, to settle down in, make your home rock solid, be tethered to. Don't wander away is what Jesus said. And then he left and said, You have everything you need to live a God-glorifying life. So, we've been learning what this means here from John 15. Let's pick up the reading in John 15 this week in verse 7. Follow along. Jesus says to his disciples, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified. That you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. Verse 11. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Verse 12 is the one that we are going to concentrate on this morning, and it says this. This is my commandment, that you love one another, as I have loved you. Notice Jesus didn't say, I have a suggestion for you. He says, I have a commandment for you, that you are to love one another. And then he expands on it. Verse 13 tells us what kind of love. There's a greater love. Greater love has no one than this, but that someone lay his life down for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me. So quit patting yourself on the back and quit exalting yourself. Don't think you're great. It's not that you chose God. It's this. I chose you and appointed you. That you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So that whatever you ask in the Father of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Then verse 17, these things I command you. So that you will love one another. 
Now, if you've been paying attention to all the different themes that we've introduced to you in John 15, there's a progression that Jesus wants us to follow. The ultimate aim of everything that God does is all about His own glory. God loves His glory. And everything He creates, He creates for the one purpose of bringing glory to Him. But if we are going to glorify Him, as it says, um, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and in bearing much fruit you have to abide. So it all starts with abiding. It's you are a stick, and the only chance you've got of bringing glory to God is for you as a stick to abide in the vine, to be connected, to be attached, so that the life from the vine can flow through the stick. You might even say you're a straw. And so the life abides in the stick, and on the other end comes fruit. But if there's going to be fruit, there's got to be pruning. So if there's going to be abiding, there's got to be pruning. Because pruning produces the fruit. And the fruit shows up in listening to His words. If, you're, if my words abide in you, then you can ask. That turns into praying. God's words turn into my words back to God. And the praying produces obeying if you keep my commandments. Here's a new commandment. Love one another and by this, my Father is glorified. If you connected all the dots of this passage, you might even say that this paragraph of Scripture is the most concentrated description of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a Christian. This is what we do. We abide we're pruned, we produce fruit, we listen to God, His words become our prayers back to God, we obey, we love, so we can glorify God. So today, we're going to talk about this very important command to love one another. How you doing at that? How you doing at loving one another? Um, scale of 1 to 10, how are Christians doing in 2020 loving one another? Mm -hmm. um, is it harder to love one another in 2020? It seems to be. There are some challenges to loving one another because we're commanded. Again, it's not a suggestion. It is a command to love one another. So we're going to talk about what it means to love. Now, Jesus has told us over and over, if you abide in my love. Remember the chocolate fountain? The Son is abiding in the Father's love. We're abiding in the Son's love so that the world can know the love that we express um, to one another in the world. So the key is all about abiding in His love. So we've got to know what God's love is. We gave a definition to God's love a few weeks ago, and it went like this. God's love is God's self-giving affection that leads Him to act for our good even at great cost to himself. God does not have some type of sentimental, fuzzy, warm love. God has a love that leads him to act. And that act cost him something. The greatest act of love was God's giving, his self-giving of his son to redeem us and win us back to him. He chose us, then he gave his life for us, and when we understood that, we 
chose to follow him as our disciples, as his disciples. So this is a different kind of love than the world knows anything about. We need to understand, when I say the word love, there's a thousand different definitions for it. As a matter of fact, um, does everybody know that the, the English words we just read were translated from the original words in the original language that were spoken? And so the, the New Testament was written primarily in Greek. Um, Jesus didn't speak English. I mean, that's a revelation to you. You, you know that. He spoke Aramaic. And then the writers of Scripture kind of translated his words into Greek. They wrote in Greek, many of them. And then the translators, so that we didn't all have to learn Greek and Aramaic, did us a favor and translated the words. So when the English translators translated the Bible, when they came across this word love, here's something you need to know. There are three different words for love in the New Testament and the first one is the word eros. That's a Greek word. You're, we're all in the English class. We're, I'm, we're all in Greek class today, okay? And the word is eros. And the kind of love that it mentions when it mentions eros, it's, a, it's, a, it's actually a love for self. It's like, do you remember like when you were in the fifth grade and you, you saw this girl across the room? I'm speaking to the guys right now. And for the first time in your heart, there, something like went pitter-patter and... It's like you noticed she was cute, and it led you to like want to go talk to her. What you were experiencing in that moment was eros, okay? We have an English word that comes from the word eros, the word erotic. Does that give you kind of an understanding of what kind of love this is? This is like a self-seeking love. It's like, it's like when a guy says, I love you, and what he really means is, I love me, and I love the way you look standing next to me. And I love the way you make me feel. When a girl sometimes says, I love you, what she really means is, I love dating. I love attention. I love flowers. That, and so that's, that's, a, that's a shallow love. And it's, that between a husband and wife, this is great. Not, not a love for self, but there's, there's a romantic love that certainly uh, is a part of this. But that's a very shallow level of love. There's another Greek word. It's the word phileo. And that is a love for those who love you back, okay? Um, this is a family type of love. Um, we have a city in Pennsylvania called Philadelphia, and it's known as the city of brotherly love. That's what kind of love this is. How many of you have a brother? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you have a brother. You know, it's, I love to do this because every time I ask that question, people raise their hand and grin. You can't just raise your hand when you think about your brother. You raise your hand and you grin. Because the first thing, these goofy memories of your brother start popping into your mind. And you're like, I know he's weird, but I love him anyway, right? I mean, we just had to at some point, unless there was going to be war, we just had to get along, right? It's just like we're stuck together. We just showed up together. We didn't get a choice about who would be our brother. We just have to get along. That's a family love. And hopefully you end up loving each other back, right? It's kind of this, um, I'll tolerate you if you tolerate me. All right? Now, the next word is the Greek word that's used in the New Testament every time it's describing God's love for us and the love that we are to have for one another. It's the word agape. Everybody say agape. And this is what it means. It is a sacrifice of self in service to others. 
This has nothing to do with the way you feel. When Jesus commanded us to love one another, he was not commanding us to feel something. He was commanding us to do something that is going to cost something. We are commanded to love one another. I think it's interesting that it's a command, right? Why did Jesus feel compelled to command his disciples to love one another? You know why? Because they didn't feel the love. They were very different. As a matter of fact, among the 12 disciples, there were opposing political parties on the team. And he said, hey, you political opponents, you must love one another. How's that going in 2020, by the way? Is the, I mean, is the world, are our politicians modeling how to love one another very much for us? No. And we're going to need, as the disciples of Jesus, a better example of love than just whatever's happening in the political realm. And that's why loving one another within the church is so extremely important, important to the world. The world doesn't know anything about this kind of love. As a matter of fact, it's very unique. Um, John Stott, famous theologian, died just a couple of months ago. He said this about this kind of love. Agape love, this kind of love, is a servant of the will, not a victim of emotion. I mean, you know, that, that kind of puppy love you had, you know, when you were 12 years old. You just kind of were smitten, right? We sometimes say that. We're just smitten with love. Well, what you're admitting is... That kind of love is an emotion. The kind of love that Jesus is talking about is a choice. This love loves because it's told by your will to do so. I choose today to love this person this way at this price tag. It's a servant of the will. Alistair Beggs, a preacher in Cleveland, he said this. Agape love is not coziness or affection. It's not predisposition on the basis of attraction. Agape love is a spiritual discipline. Yesterday, there were about 75 men that met here at the church. And from 9 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock in the afternoon, we talked about the importance of spiritual discipline. We talked about the importance of prayer. We talked about the importance of fasting and so many other spiritual disciplines in order to grow in Christ. Have you ever considered that love is a spiritual discipline? It's what I do not because I feel like it. It's what I do because it's right and it's best and it's an act of obedience to Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer's a theologian, and he said this, Agape love seems to have been virtually a Christian invention, a new word for a new thing. Here's what's interesting about the Greek language. Up until this time, there were only about 20 occurrences in all of Greek literature that mentioned the word agape. 
But when you get to the recordings of Jesus and you get to the commands of the apostles to the church, do you know what you find? You find an explosion of this new word, agape, because it's describing a new kind of love that the world had not yet known. Jesus introduced to the world a kind of love that was unheard of up until that point. And we have drifted so far from it, we need to be commanded and reminded of the command to love. J.I. Packer went on and said this. He said, agape love draws its meaning directly from the revelation of God in Christ. It is not a form of natural affection, however intense, but a supernatural fruit of the Spirit. How is fruit produced? When the branch is connected to the vine and you become a straw and the life, the love of God <laughs> flows from the sun through the branch and on the other side of it, because you are connected to Jesus, fruit naturally appears, supernaturally appears. It is a matter of will rather than feeling for Christians must love even those they dislike. It is the basic element of Christ-likeness. So the question is, who should we love? Let me give you some categories here. If you're a Christian, you have just been commanded by Jesus to love one another. Obviously, we should love God. We love God because He first loved us. We're about to read that. How about people in your family and the church and the world? This is what I want you to do right now. How many of you right now are taking notes? Where are the note takers? Raise your hand if you're a note taker. Look at that. Okay, uh, so this is what I want you to do. Right now, I'm going to be quiet for about 30 seconds. And while I'm quiet, I'm going to be praying that the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind people in these categories that you are commanded to love. I want you to write their names down. If you're not a note taker, pull out your phone or whatever and start taking a note. And I believe the Holy Spirit is going to put on your heart people that you are supposed to love. Probably the first person that came to your mind is the most difficult person for you to love. When I read that quote earlier that said Christians are, to, are commanded to love even those they dislike. Whose name popped in your head when I said that? What face right now are you seeing? What memory do you have of the last time that person offended you? Jesus said... This is my commandment. Love that person. Husbands are to love their wives. Wives are to love their husbands. You know, interesting, in Ephesians chapter 5, three times in the span of eight verses, the Apostle Paul commands husbands, husbands, love your wives. A couple of verses later, husbands, love your wives. A couple of verses later, husbands, love your wives. Do you know why? The number one need your wife has is to be loved by her husband. You know what's interesting? If you read the entire Bible, how many of you are reading the Bible, by the way? All 100, 
100, 100 days of Bible reading. How you doing? Anybody falling off the sideline? Everybody come back, get, get back on the wagon. You can do it. Just pick up where you left off. We're going to get through it together. Last 100 days of 2020, we're going to read the whole Bible, okay? Now, if you're reading the whole Bible, you know what you will not find? You will never find a single command in Scripture where it says, wives, love your husbands. Wives are like, I'm off the hook. That's, all, that's awesome because you know how hard he is to love. You know what you'll find? You'll find your command is, wives, respect your husbands. Because the number one need of your husband is not love. The number one need of your husband is respect. And the way that your husband feels love is respect. You see, there's all kinds of expressions of love. And we're going to see a bunch of expressions here in just a minute. So, there's different ways that we love. We love our children. We love our mothers and our fathers, aunts and uncles. But beyond that, the church, you think about concentric circles expanding out. We're to love one another within the church. Do you love your church? All right, I'm, that was disappointing. So I'm going to back that up and give you another shot at that. Would you like another shot at that? Do you love your church? Yeah. Do you love your pastor? Well, then stop sinning, okay? So if you love me, just show me by not sinning and stop fighting with each other, for crying out loud. Love one another. If you love God, love one another. And that is a command. It's hard to love because in, the church is diverse. We have people from different backgrounds. We have different people from socioeconomic differences, with different political backgrounds. And yet, within the context of church, we are to learn to love. We're commanded to love one another. And then beyond that, here's where it gets really hard. We're to love people who don't even love Jesus. We're to love people who hate the things we love. That's a hard assignment. We're never going to be able to love the world if we can't even love one another within the church. We're not going to be able to love hard people in the church if we can't love at home, in our families, and we're not going to be able to love our families if we do not love God. It's the cascading chocolate fountain once again. So, God the Father loves God the Son. God the Son loves you and I. We're to abide in His love. And then because we love God, we're to love even the hardest people there are to love out there in the world. So, um, John, who recorded the words of Jesus in John 15. Do you remember how I told you that John was just totally consumed with the love of God? He couldn't get over it. He talked about it all the time. He even when he, when he wrote of himself, he didn't use his name. He just called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. You know, as opposed to all the other disciples. The ones Jesus tolerated, Right? I'm the disciple that Jesus loved. And he was so consumed with the love of God, he never got over it. As a matter of fact, flip over to 1 John, back of your Bible. He wrote three other, he actually wrote four other books. He wrote 1st, 2nd, 2nd, 3rd John. Did you know that John actually wrote the book of Revelation? So we have recordings from, from John uh, as he wrote in the last part of our Bible. And 1st John chapter 4, it's as if John was just sitting around meditating on John 15. The words of Jesus. You're commanded to love one another. 
And he couldn't get over that command. He wanted to explain more. So in John chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, John just tells us seven reasons why we should love one another. It's like, okay, it's a command, but I need some motivation. So give me some motivation. And so he gives us these seven commands. Here's the first of those is this. You should love one another because the love of God dwells in us. Let's look at that here in 1 John, 7, 1 John 4, verse 7. Beloved. That's not a shock that he called you the beloved, right? I mean, that's just his favorite word for you. Disciples, you are the beloved. You are loved. He would have loved Gospel City Church by saying, you are loved at the end of every service. He's just reinforcing the main message. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Notice he's talking about people who have been born of God. A few minutes ago, we had these cute babies up here. And these babies are cute They've been born, but they've not yet been born of God. It's not enough just to be born. You've got to be born again in order to understand this kind of love. So he talks about you as people who are born of God. Do you not understand that you have the love of God residing in you? Remember, you're a stick, and inside the stick is the love of God flowing through. And what comes out on the other side is love for one another. And I know what some of you are saying. That the people You wrote the names down. Like, Trent, let me tell you. Let me show you my name. You would understand why I cannot love this person if you knew this person. And I would look right back at you and it's like, I'm sure if I knew that person, I would find them hard to love. But what I would say to you is, if you find it hard to love that person, it's not because of what you know about them. It's because of what you don't know about God. That's what John said. The one who loves has been born of God and knows God. If you do not know God... You will not love. And so the obstacle is over, the, the obstacle to overcome in that person is not what you know about them, it's what you have yet to know about God. You need a deeper knowledge of the love of God in order to love the people who are hard to love. So I told you there's different expressions of love. We're going to see seven expressions that go with these seven reasons to love. And here's the expression. Our love is expressed by godliness. You know what that means? It means that we love others because we want them to experience godliness or godlikeness. We want them to love and live like God. Loving someone does not mean you endorse ungodly behavior. That's what the world wants from us, right? They, they call us bigots and, 
and they, they think that we're exercising hate speech when we preach the love of God because the love of God is restrictive. It's like you, if you loved God, you won't act like that. And there's some boundaries on some things that he doesn't want you to do. Loving someone is not endorsing their behavior. Loving someone is not giving someone what they want. Loving someone is giving them what is right. We don't endorse ungodly behavior. Let me put it this way. What would you rather have? A sloppy wet kiss or a punch in the nose? How many of you would go with a sloppy wet kiss? How many of you would go with the punch in the nose? Now, some of you are like, Trent, it depends on who's coming at me, right? I mean, some of you would rather be punched in the nose than, than like a sloppy wet kiss from that person. No, thank you. Just punch me in the nose. I'd rather have a root canal, actually. Uh, don't give me that. What you're confirming is the truth of this verse. Proverbs 27, verses 5 and 6 says this. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Do you understand? Hidden love, unexpressed love, is actually sinful. Sometimes the way we express love is by rebuking ungodly behavior. As parents, you, this is what parenting is all about, right? You go in there and you have to take something away from a kid or you have to restrict um, some freedoms that they have or you have to tell them no. It's like, no, you cannot have your fourth popsicle today. You're already bouncing off the wall, but you don't love me. No, I love you, so you can't have that. I don't want you to weigh 7,000 pounds, you know, that kind of thing. And so we love somebody by at times rebuking them. If you are afraid to rebuke, it's because you have a lack of love. But if you are a friend at times you're going to have to cause some pain in somebody's life. If you're an enemy, you just flatter all the time. We speak the truth in love. Now, does everybody understand when you speak, you should always speak the truth? Nod your head like this. Understand, when I speak, I should always speak the truth. Do you also understand you should not always speak the truth? Understand the difference? When you speak, always speak the truth. But please do not always speak the truth. You should only speak the truth when you can speak the truth with love. You get it? Truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy, Warren Wearsby said. But truth spoken with love is Christianity. And that's what we are to do. Our problem is some of us are so intense about the truth and we are less intense about the love and we rarely get the combination of our conviction and our compassion on the same level. So this is how we express our love. The second reason that's given is this. We have seen the greatest example of love at the cross. Why should I obey the command? Because we've seen the greatest example of love at the cross. Look here at verse 9. In this, 
The love of God was made manifest among us. See the word manifest there? Underline that word. That's an important word. What's a manifest? Um, a cargo ship or a cargo plane will have a manifest. You know what that is? It's a list of the cargo that's being transported from one location to the other. John says, here's the manifest that God sent His Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us. Do you remember what Jesus said? Not that you chose me, but I chose you. John's just expounding on it. Not that you loved God, but that God loves us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. So on the cross, God was diverting the wrath so that He could direct the love straight to us. And the manifest is this. Jesus was transported from His world into our world so He could transport us from our world into His world. That's the manifest. We've seen the greatest example of love on the cross as Jesus absorbed the wrath of God for our sins. So the expression of love for one another is to model that to the world through self-sacrifice. Do you know what it means? It means that every time we love, we pay a price. There's too many people saying, I love you, when there is absolutely no cost in saying that. Love has not been expressed until there has been a debit from your account and a deposit into another's account. Now, you, you think, well, that you're talking about money. Could be, could be. You have some money, God's given you some money. Love could easily be expressed. Maybe the best way to be expressed is to transfer what God has given you to someone who needs what God has given you. But it's not just money. You have time, you have energy, you have emotion. Some of you have a skill set. Some of you have talent. Some of you have space. Some of you have relational skills that another person has a deficit in. And the expression of love is like you're going to give away some of what you have in order to love somebody else. Time, energy, space, maybe even some money. That's what agape love is all about. It's sending something from your account into another account. It's moving out of your world, your safety comfort zone, into the world of another person who needs what you have. That is how we love one another. Thirdly, why do we love? Simple. Because we are so loved by God. Look at verse 11. Simple verse, but it's packed with meaning. Beloved, if God so loved us. Do you see the little word so? Don't race past the so. If God so loved us. In other words, just like God loved us with the same intensity. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. As Jesus was dying on that cross, he was absorbing the wrath of God for our sins so that God to, could declare us legally pardoned from all crimes. He was canceling the debt that we owed him. In other words, he was forgiving our sin. One of the greatest expressions of love 
is forgiveness. Has somebody sinned against you? Somebody stolen from you? Somebody slandered you, hurt you, shamed you? Somebody mistreated you? Love means canceling the penalty. It means refusing to demand payment. It's saying, you don't owe me anything. That's an expression of love. You say, that is crazy. No, that's agape. Because on the cross, vertically, God canceled the debt we owed him. Until you are brought to your knees with the weight of the thought that God has forgiven my sin. He has treated me better than I deserve. He has blessed me. He has given me his grace. Until that has rocked your world, you will not bend that forgiveness out to others. And yet, if you will be absorbed in the forgiveness of God, it will be the greatest motivation for you to bend that forgiveness out to the world. Until you are rocked by that thought, you will make every person who sins against you pay for what they've done. And yet Jesus says, here's a new commandment, love one another, forgive. Don't isolate yourself. Don't back up. Don't neglect. Don't get as far away as you can from that person. Pursue, forgive, restore relationship. The fourth reason that's given here is found in verse 12, and it is love helps others see what God is like. Look at verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. Now, John wants to make real clear to you that God is spirit. He is invisible. You're not going to have like some kind of physical encounter with God. God is a spiritual being. You're a spiritual being. And we, our spirit bears witness with His spirit. Now, Jesus was the manifestation of God. He was 100% God wrapped in a human body. And He, for 33 years, lived on this planet. But that's all we got. Physical manifestation. And He's now seated at the right hand of the Father. God wants... John wants you to know that God is invisible. However, we can still know what God is like. That's why he says, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. If you see a blind person out in public, maybe they've got you know, one of those sticks and, and they're doing their best they can to, to kind of navigate traffic and work their way around. But if they are about to take a step that's going to endanger them, Maybe they're about to step into oncoming traffic. And you see this happening. Question. Do you run to that person and start scolding them? Do you start arguing with them? Do you start yelling at them? Do you start shaming them? Do you go talk bad about them with your friends? I saw this blind person. They're about to, to, to step into oncoming traffic. What a ridiculous thing to do. Now, what do you do with a blind person? Hopefully you have some compassion. He's like, let me help you. Let me guide you. Let me, let me, let me kind of gently steer you into safety. That's what you do with a blind person. Do you understand that as Christians, God has removed our blindness? 
and now we are engaging with people in the world who cannot see what we see, who don't know God the way we know God. And yet, what do we so often do? We expect blind people to act like they can see what we see. And for some reason, we feel like we have to fight with these people, like declare war on these people. And why do we expect blind people to be able to think and to act the way that we think and try to act? We have revelation they don't have. They can't see it. They're still blind. And so he says to us, the only way they're going to see is if, if they see the love of God that is in you. So our love is expressed through compassion. Listen, church, we have some very hard things that we believe. And it's hard for others to believe them. Especially when it comes down to the Christian sexual ethic. What we believe about gender and what we believe about marriage and what we believe about sexuality. That God reserves sex for people, husband, wife, man, woman in a covenant love relationship. We believe this is, this is what God has for us. We believe it's what God brings God glory and we believe it, it what promotes human flourishing. Who would have thought that we would get to the point in the culture where that sounded hateful? But it does. And so how do we communicate things that we have convictions about with the same level of compassion? I know some people say, well, see, this is it. This is what you do. You just say, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. Hey, let me give you a little, little clue here. No matter how much you say that, for a blind person, it just sounds like you hate sinners. And so we have to learn to communicate with the same level of compassion that we have about our convictions. And so understand, we, we don't compromise our convictions, but man, we need to learn to express compassion, to be able to say to somebody, I know this is hard. It was hard for me. Man, you're talking about some sexual sin in your life. Man, nobody's a, a greater sexual sinner than me. We're all bent away from God and we've all got sin in our lives. And I'm just so grateful for the compassion of Jesus. And, and I'm just offering to you what God has given to me. Those are loving comments that we can make to people. But to express to them, you are loved by God. You're a person that's an image bearer of God. You're made with value, dignity, and worth. God created you for purpose and meaning. And he wants you to come into relationship with him. And you can choose to receive it or reject it. But I'm telling you this because I love God and I love you. And you still may be hated. We're going to learn that here in a couple of weeks. That's what Jesus said in the next part of John 15. Here's the last thing. Or not the last thing. We've got three more things. Number five. How, uh, how are we to love? Love is how we know we are in Christ. And so where do you find assurance of your salvation? It's not in your performance. It's in this, verse 13. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit and we have seen and testify, underline that word, testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. 
and God abides in him. You think John liked the word abide? It's like, this is his favorite word. So, this gives us assurance of our salvation. We know that we are in Christ when we see the fruit, the supernatural evidence of loving one another. You might get to the end of the day and it's like, man, I can't believe I loved this horrible person. That, I couldn't do that. God must have done. So our love is expressed by testifying that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. That's a truth claim. That's a hard thing to believe. That sounds hateful. But it's the truth, and we speak it in love. Number six, love removes fear. Look at verse 17. By this is the love of God perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because He is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. You know what you'll do if you love people? You take a risk. Our love is expressed through acts of courage. For Christians, safety is not our highest priority. Love is our highest priority. And we're willing to take a risk in order to love. We're willing to be rejected. We're willing to do hard things. We're willing to, to maybe even face punishment from the world because we know we will never face punishment with God. What do you do with a person that believes they can never die? You just take a risk. Those, per those people are, are great missionaries. Number seven, last thing. We were, we were loved before we loved God. Notice the sequence here in verse 19. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, yeah, he, you're a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has seen. And this commandment we have from him, he's just echoing what he recorded in John 15. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Notice the sequence. We love because he first loved us. Notice, our love is expressed by taking the initiative, by taking the first step, not waiting for somebody else to move, but understanding that because God made the first move to us, we have to make the first move to those who are hard to love. That person that you wrote down earlier is like, I, I would be glad to forgive them if they would come and seek my forgiveness. Some of you are waiting. You know, if, if you might be, Lord, if you bring that person back around into my life, I'll express my love. It's not the way it works. God first loved us before we ever loved him. Now we must love others before they ever love us. Because we know and have seen the love of God at work in us. All right? So here's a summary of all those different expressions of love. What do you need to do leaving this room today to love one another? Godliness, 
We believe the best. We believe that God's grace can change a person, but we have to call them to godliness. It's an act of love to do that. Self-sacrifice is going to cost something. I've got to make a debit from my account, a deposit into somebody else's account. Forgiveness, releasing someone from the debt that they owe. Compassion, intensifying the level of compassion to the same level of my conviction is a requirement. Testifying that Jesus is the only Son of God and taking an act, um, a risk, expressing courage, and then taking the initiative. This is what I want you to do. Stand up right now. And would you bow your heads, close your eyes for a moment. I've prayed the Holy Spirit would be more specific with you than I can be today. I don't know the people in your life who are hard to love. I I don't know the expressions that you need to act upon. Whoever says, I love God, hates his brother, you're a liar. You say, Trent, if you knew this person, you would... No, I would say you just need to know more about the love of God. Who do you need to talk to? Who do you need to invest in? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to move toward rather than away from. The person that God is bringing to mind right now is the person that Jesus would say to you, this is my commandment, love one another. Father, we are so loved and because you first loved us we are commanded now to love others and we repent of the lack of love we repent of the lack of compassion I pray God that you would change and reorient us from loving ourselves and loving only those who love us back And produce within us the supernatural fruit of loving those at great cost to ourselves. Make it specific for each one of us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This is what I want us to do. Thanks for coming to church today. Thanks for joining us online. Before you leave this building, looking around, a lot of us here are married. You know, the first person you need to express love to is the person that you've entered into this lifelong covenant love relationship with. And it may be a long time since you've actually looked at one another in the eye and said, I love you. And here's the reason why. And you may need to do that even before you're back in the car or as soon as you get back in the car. You need to schedule a date this afternoon or you you need to find some time to express love to the people closest to you. But I want you to expand that circle a little bit before you leave today. Would you find another person that you did not come to church with, take the initiative, go to that person, and say, hey, I love you, and here's the reason why. And just give them, give them some love. Every, 2020, everybody needs some love in 2020. All right, listen, there should not be a person leave this room today without feeling some love, all right?
Now listen, if you're in sixth grade and you were looking for an opportunity to go to that girl and like your little heart's twitter-pating and you're like wanting to build this relationship, this is not the time to act on that, okay? That's called eros love. Talk to your parents. They'll, they'll help you navigate through some of those things, okay? But you know what I mean, all right? So let's leave here today obeying the commandment to love one another. Remember, you are loved.